fanatics podcast i'm your host once again james and i'm joined once again by nate what's up man so uh today we'll be previewing uh super bowl sunday uh the game between tampa bay and kansas city we'll also be taking a look at some running back awards for this past fantasy football season as well as uh, doing the usual NBA and NHL pickups for fantasy, as well as we'll be looking at some injuries around the three leagues. Uh, but let's just hop right into the Super Bowl preview. And uh, to start, Nate, um, I just want to get your your just starting thoughts on this game between uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think it's going to be a good game. Um, there's going to be a lot of um, back and back and forth. So I think fans of football in general have a good Super Bowl to look forward to. Yeah, I think so as well. Just seeing how uh, Tom Brady, who's seen as one of the greatest players of all time, is up against Patrick Mahomes, who many people feel is the most talented player in the NFL right now. So I think it's going to be an exciting Super Bowl. There's good teams on both sides, and I I can't wait to to see how this Super Bowl is going to unfold. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, uh, just taking a look at uh, some of the uh, offensive weapons, we'll start with uh, Kansas City. Um, out of their offensive weapons, what do you think that their key might be to sort of win this game in terms of offense? I think in terms of offense, I feel like um, Tyreek Hill is probably going to be their um, primary weapon. I th- believe that um in the november game that they had uh, he had 269 yards and three touchdowns oh, and yeah. he had wow. like 13 yeah, receptions yeah, yeah. so yeah that was actually a good game i believe that game was it 27 to 24 for kansas city or was that the score yeah it was yeah so i i what i remember from that game kansas city got a pretty big lead I can't remember how much they went up. It was around 24-10 or so they went up, something like that. Then Tampa Bay came back in the second half, and they made it really close, but they did come short, losing by three points. I know Tom Brady was able to bring the team back, and I just think that um, I know Kansas City's favored by three points right now, and I think that line is sort of coming from their previous meeting. So I do think that this game is going to be different, whether it comes down to one point, whether it's a a full touchdown. I think it'll be somewhere between a touchdown and a point somewhere there. I I doubt it's going to be a bigger lead than that. Um, Personally, I think that this game could be a low scoring, not under 20, but I'd say in the twenties range, sort of where last game was. Um, I don't know what your thoughts might be on, on scoring, like what you think might happen. I would say, um, Maybe I think it's going to be like a little bit closer to 30, mainly because um, I'm not sure how you would be able to uh, stop Tom Brady. I mean, they they did manage to do that for an entire an entire half, but then Tom Brady just like flipped a switch and then scored like 14 points in the fourth quarter. Well, he's he's known to be doing that. You know, he's done that so many years in the past. He did that against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he he did it against the Atlanta Falcons most recently, uh, even in uh, the the even more recent Super Bowl than that against the Rams. I know that it, it was a, a very close game at halftime, 
And then Tom Brady was able to flip the switch and get a touchdown when they needed to so that they could win that Super Bowl as well. Um, and yeah, even though Tom's been uh, pretty old, I think that he can still uh, play, you know. Um, I guess just looking at the Tampa Bay offense, I'm just looking at some of their pass catchers. I know that uh, we were saying that it looks like Antonio Brown is going to be healthy for this game, which is very important because that makes it tougher for the Kansas City defense to cover all of the receivers that Tampa Bay has. And I think, uh, you know, j- just the, w- the way Mike Evans is in big games, how he always seems to make those big catches. Got a, a guy like Antonio Brown, one of the best route runners in the league when he's on his game. And then Chris Godwin, who's going to be amazing out of the slot as usual. I know he had a couple of drops last game, but he definitely turned that around and, and just made some big plays for them down the stretch. Um, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, I, I guess, who's going to be the main playmaker there in that Tampa Bay offense uh, receiving wise? Receiving wise is going to be kind of hard to say. I think it's going to be more of an offense where you can kind of spread, spread the wealth. I think it's going to, it's going to pretty much depend on how Kansas city decides to um, play the offense. And I think Tom Brady's just going to make some reads from there. Yeah. I think one thing that we could see is uh, uh, I know Kansas city is uh, they've been big on just getting Travis Kelsey, the ball as much as possible. I know in, in games where they've scored over 30 points, I think Kelsey's had more than 10 catches in all of those games, something like that. Like it's, it's crazy. And like, they just want to get him the ball. And I, I feel like on the Tampa Bay end, they might really need to get Gronk involved in this game, especially, um, you know, if the, the receivers get locked down or whatever, because I know Kansas city has done a good job locking down receiving, receiving cores from other teams, notably uh, the last couple of games in Cleveland and Buffalo they were able to lock down a lot of the main receivers. So I think you're going to need a a big tight end most likely to come through, whether it's Cameron Braid or whether it's Rob Gronkowski. I think that one of those two will definitely need to be involved for Tampa Bay. Um, And then just uh, looking at the the defenses on both sides, um, I believe Tampa Bay has the sixth best defense this season. Uh, I guess it's that's total defense, the sixth best in the NFL. And then, Kansas City was the 16th best defense, but I I know Kansas City's defense has been playing better as of late. And we even saw last year, San Francisco had one of the best defenses, but Kansas City's defense made the plays when it mattered most. So uh, what would you say is the difference uh, between the two defenses and what do you think they need to do uh, to stop uh, these respective offenses? Um, I think in order for for Kansas City to stop Tampa Bay, I think uh, they're probably going to try to do what they did in the November game and try to um, force some fumbles from Tom Brady, which is not going to be easy to do in the Super Bowl. But they did show that they were able to do that in the November game. So if they can do that just like two times, that's going to put them in an opportunity to kind of pull away. I think one thing I noticed from Kansas City's defense, when they had some of the safety blitzes, I know Tyron Matthew ran some of those safety blitzes and put pressure on Josh Allen. He released the ball a lot quicker and he wasn't as accurate. So I think what they need to do is they need to get enough pressure on Tom Brady because when Tom Brady has a lot of pressure, he tends to release the ball really quick, faster sometimes than he would even like to. So it's one of those things. Uh, I know Tampa Bay's offensive line has been better as of late. 
but I think that I think uh, like I really think that that's what Kansas City needs to do. They really need to apply that pressure, and um, I, I know that they have um, good safeties and good corners. Um, they they just need to, um, like I said, um, apply some pressure. Uh, I know they have uh, Chris Jones up front. And they have some other good players. Those players were the key players when they won the Super Bowl. Those are the guys that came to play, both Matthew and Jones. Um, so they're going to need to come and bring their A game again for this week for the Super Bowl. And then just looking at um, what Tampa Bay's defense would have to do to stop Kansas City's offense, um, would you agree that uh, pressure on their side as well? Yeah, I, the worst thing that you can do against somebody like Patrick Mahomes is make him comfortable. When he's comfortable, that's when like any any quarterback when they're comfortable that's when they start getting their a game out and then you're going to get burned and patrick mahomes is right now the most talented quarterback so when he's comfortable he's just gonna build up a lot of momentum he's going to be hard to stop so a lot of uh pass rush is probably going to be really important yeah i think that uh when it comes to tampa bay they sort of need to repeat the recipe that they used on aaron Rodgers last week um just that uh, amount of pressure that they put on him. I believe they had five sacks on him last week and uh, at least 20 pressures, which is insane. It's more than he's faced all season. Uh, they just really made him release the ball and run around more than he, he really wanted to. And I think it just really hurt uh, Green Bay's offense as a whole because Rodgers had to force some passes that he really didn't want to. Um, just looking at the stats, from both teams. I know both teams averaged around 30 points per game this season. So both offenses are fantastic with Kansas City averaging more yards total, but I, I think uh, both teams are, are pretty similar offensively. Um, I know their, their run games aren't as prominent as their passing games. Both teams are very pass heavy from the looks of it. And just, um, well, just looking again at some of the stats, both teams had over 40 touchdowns this season in the regular season. Um, and both had over 100 passer rating for both quarterbacks. So uh, that's just something to note. Both offenses are very similar, play a very similar style. Um, I guess one thing just to look at is that um, Patrick Mahomes has only lost one out of his last 25 games. So just getting that into, into perspective, uh, uh, he's just been nothing short of a phenomenal. He's just... Yeah, he, he's just been crazy this year. I, I believe that only loss uh, came against the Vegas Raiders this season. That, that was his only loss. But the last 25 games, uh, that was it. That's amazing. And, yeah, it's, it, I think uh, in this game, it's just going to come down to whether Patrick Mahomes can get it done on this defense. I think Patrick Mahomes kind of holds this game in his hands, metaphorically speaking. He... He's been the single most driving force for this team uh, ever since he 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 started uh, playing, and he just just keeps getting better every time I see him play. He always has something new. Uh, I saw the way he just juked that defender last week, and he he made that pass. It was just it's like his vision is just insane. Uh, some of the things he can do with both his legs and with his arms is just phenomenal, and I think that. Um, like I know Tom Brady, he he can still pass, but he's nowhere near the athletic ability at this age compared to Patrick Mahomes. So I I just feel like that it's gonna come down to 
uh, how many touchdowns can Patrick Mahomes score against this defense? And uh, I figure that that's going to determine what the score will be. I don't know. What are your thoughts just on that? I think that um, I can kind of see that. Um, I feel like, I don't, I don't know what you think, but I was thinking like if they can kind of force Patrick Mahomes to do like bad runs because he's had a habit of like, when he feels like there's too much pressure, he'll roll out and he doesn't necessarily try to just go out of bounds and then go to the next play. He'll try to get as many yards as he can. And that kind of gets him in trouble sometimes. Yeah. I've noticed that he's taking some unnecessary shots when he could have uh, slid or or gone out of bounds. And I feel like that, um, you know, if he somehow gets knocked out of this game, it's over for Kansas city. Tom Brady will just burn the Kansas city chiefs. Uh, I don't think Chad Henney, I mean, all due respect to him for that, that win there against Cleveland, but I, I just don't expect him to beat a team that's just as well-rounded as Tampa Bay is. I believe both teams are very well-rounded. I, I don't see many weaknesses for either of the two teams. Um, and I guess any more thoughts on, on just the, the Tampa, Buc- Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense as a whole. I think that you, I think like the way you said, like they don't have a lot of weaknesses. I think that's true. Like, even if um, they figure out how to, I guess, slow down Tom Brady's pass, they still have Leonard Fournette. And uh, he's really good in the open field. So if they just get him the ball, he's going to be able to get bare yards. So, Yeah. Um, I guess just before we, we finish up with the preview, um just sort of uh, give me an estimated score and then just give me which team you think will come out on top. And then uh, we'll just see how we're looking. Um, I th- think that uh, I would say that Tampa Bay has the advantage. I think it'd probably be something, probably be around three points. So it'll probably be like 30 to 27, something like that. Okay. And um. I guess, what do you see happening in this game? How do you see Tampa Bay coming on on top of this game? Um, I just, personally, I don't really see how they're going to consistently stop the pass. So I think that it's probably going to be mostly a passing game. And then they're probably going to mix it up with, with the run to try to open the pass up again. Yeah. Um, I see where you're coming from. And, um, I did predict this Super Bowl matchup, actually, as, as you remember uh, from the beginning of the playoffs. I think you predicted uh, Kansas City going to the Super Bowl, but I believe it was against Green Bay. Um, yeah, I predicted this Super Bowl matchup just because of the high talent level on both sides. I didn't see any AFC team being able to take out Kansas City with all their firepower, um, whether it was Buffalo, Baltimore, Cleveland or, or any of the other teams that were eliminated in the wild card round. I just didn't see any of those teams as being viable threats to Kansas city. I felt like Kansas city was just going to shrug them off. Um, and then in terms of Tampa Bay, I, I think it was a little bit more difficult to sort of decipher some of their, their potential matchups in, in the NFC, but I guess just looking from a talent standpoint on their roster and then them just having Tom Brady as their quarterback, the the level of competitor he is, even at his age, I just feel like that that gave them such an advantage. It gave them the boost that they needed. 
And then their defense just turned it on both against uh, the Saints when they really needed to and against the Packers when they really needed to. Not forgetting their first win against the Washington football team, of course. But um, I think if the game was um, the week after the the championship round, I think I would have leaned towards Kansas City because of them being well-rested. But I think since both teams have had the, this these couple weeks off, I feel like that it's a lot more closer than we think. And I actually think Tampa Bay can win this game. Um, my reasoning for it is that um, I know that uh, Kansas City's tackle, Eric Fisher, tore his Achilles and he's not going to play in the Super Bowl. So they'll be short at least two or three of their starting um, their starting uh, offensive line from last year's Super Bowl. And that's a big blow, especially with what Aaron Rodgers had to deal with with uh, – David Bakatari not being able to play last week and then a Tampa Bay's defense just shredding that offensive line. I, I believe uh, Shaq Barrett had like three sacks. JPP had like two sacks. They just really jumped all over that defense. We like Nadamakan Sue is even there. We, we don't even talk about him half the time anymore. Like they're just so stacked up at the line. And then you got Devin White and Levante David. Um, as, as their main linebackers and there's a lot of linebacker blitz that they do. And I know Devin white has really been fantastic. These last couple of games, he's just the amount of tackles he's made just played amazing. And I just like with the amount of trouble Aaron Rodgers had in his MVP level season, the amount of trouble he had with this Tampa Bay defense, both times and Patrick Mahomes not being able to put up more than 27 points against this defense last time. This defense is playing better than it was playing last time. So I I really see Tampa Bay winning this game. Uh, they're also at home. That's one thing we haven't talked about. This is the first ever home Super Bowl team. That It's going to be a big advantage because there are going to be fans in the stands. Um, and it, it's Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl. He's been here, done that. I know Patrick Mahomes has a Super Bowl win, but it, it's going to be really tough for Kansas City to win this game, in my opinion, especially with those gaping holes up front Patrick Mahomes is going to face a lot of pressure this Sunday and he's got to release the ball quick his receivers has to have to get separation um I know Tampa Bay will struggle if they try to play man-to-man on defense again I know they switched that up in the second half uh last time they played Kansas City and they were able to defend a lot better but if Tyree Kill is being covered one-on-one it's over it's done He's going to shred the, the Tampa Bay defense. They need to uh, find, find a good zone play to put on him, and they need to execute it. And I think that they'll be able to do that. So, yeah, I'm going to lean towards Tampa Bay. I feel like they have both the offense and the defense. I believe their offense is the seventh rank this year, and their defense is the sixth rank. So when you have a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense, I think they're going to be pretty tough to stop, even also being at home. So. Yeah, I can see that for sure. That's going to feed into the um, forcing Patrick Mahomes to roll out, and he's not the best at rolling out in terms of keeping himself safe either. Yeah, uh, when he rolls out, a lot of times he'll make room for a pass, especially to someone like Travis Kelsey. Um, But I guess just, yeah, staying safe, um, especially when everyone's covered and he's struggling to find an opening, sometimes he'll second-guess himself. And he'll sort of run into a, an area where he's not well protected and he, he'll sometimes take hits. 
Uh, I mean, they'll throw the flag and all that, but I mean, it doesn't matter how many yards it is. Your quarterback just took a shot, right? You know, uh, whether it's a flag, I know Kansas City would get the 10 or 15 yards, but I mean, is it really worth 10 or 15 yards for your quarterback just take a a big shot like that? I don't think so. I think that uh, whatever happens, I, I feel like that the backup tackles for this team and the backup guards they really need to to play their best game if the Chiefs are going to win. Let me just say that. Yeah, and I think for Patrick Mahomes too, I think he he shouldn't be afraid of of um, having to use all all of his downs, like just because the the pocket was broken down, like one play doesn't mean like you're not going to be able to score the next down. I think like like he he knows what to do. Like you just have to take take a slide like you don't have to get 10 yards and take a shot maybe you can just get five yards and do a slide and then second down you have a short pass and i mean even on fourth down they're very good at executing uh whether i know they have clyde edwards hilaire fully healthy now which is going to be a big boost for them well i'm not sure how well he's going to be able to run with the way that that line is and i know tampa bay has the number one run defense in the nfl so it's going to, it's going to be a very tough day for him, but uh, I know that if they have a fourth down, he he's approved in the past that he can capitalize on those. And Patrick Mahomes his quick, short passes always work. So that's uh, one of those things, like you said, he, he can't take any major hit or he can't, he can't get hit with a shot, a big shot or anything. Like he, he's really got to stay composed and, and just release the ball on time. Yeah. Like, that hit that he took against Cleveland that made me think like you can't you can't play the way that you play and anymore you have to kind of be a little bit more a little bit more smart about how you run and how you pass like yeah, I mean he's still in his sure. prime but like still you want your prime to be longer yeah he wants his prime to last uh, he's got uh, 10 years 50 million per season this was the first year that contract kicked in. He's got to last in his prime for nine more seasons. So, you know, he's a, he's got to, got to prove his worth on that contract. So um, yeah, but it's going to be a great game. Um, I can easily see Kansas city winning this game as well. Uh, it just depends who comes out to play um, j- just from looking at the numbers and just looking at the situation. I'm, I'm looking at Tampa Bay winning, but um, if Kansas city does win, I'm not going to be surprised. The Super Bowl is very close. Yeah, it's pretty much a coin flip at this point. Yeah, I know the odds are favoring Kansas City just because of them being the defending champions and them winning the last matchup between these two teams. Uh, It seems like a reasonable uh, odds, but um, yeah, we'll just see how it plays out. Yeah. All right, Nate, thanks uh, for being here for the uh, Super Bowl preview. And now we'll move to the running back awards for fantasy uh, this season on the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. All right, welcome to the running back awards for the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. We'll be going through some awards for the top running backs in this year's fantasy season. I'm joined uh, once again by Nate and by our injury analyst, analyst Victoria. Welcome, guys. Thanks. So. Um, we'll be covering the six major awards that we covered last week for quarterbacks. We'll talk about the most consistent running back of the year, the injury running back of the year, uh, the waiver wire running back of the year, the rookie running back of the year, the playoff running back of the year, as well as the running back of the year. Um, 
as we hand out the awards, we'll also hand out a runner up um, as well for each award and just sort of explain why we chose each player for these awards. Um, Nate, I'll start with you and we'll, we'll start with the most consistent running back of the year. Um, who, who did you pick to win this award? So for the winner for uh, consistent running back of the year, I gave it to Dalvin Cook. Um, he has 22.6 fantasy points per game. And the runner-up is Alvin Kamara, 22.4 fantasy points per game. So it was really close. Um, both uh, Cook and Kamara had under five games that are under 15 points. So Cook had only four games under 15 points. Kamara had only three games under 15 points. And Cook had eight twenty plus point games and Kamara had three 20 plus point games and yeah um yeah the, that's really solid um uh, our fantasy point per game percentages are based on half point PPR leagues which is our standard that we go by I know some people go by standard leagues and some go by PPR but by going by half PPR it sort of balances things out in between as that seems to be the new standard for Yahoo leagues um, I'll move over to you, Victoria. Um, you have an expert injury analysis on uh, the injury running back of the year. Give us your winner and your runner up. Yeah, so I'll start with my winner for this award of injury running back of the year, and that's Christian McCaffrey. Um, he had approximately 27.3 fantasy points per game, obviously, before all these injuries occurred. So um, he started where he start, suffered a high ankle sprain in week two against the Bucks, and then he missed the next seven weeks to deal with this injury and finally returned in week nine, um, but only to undergo a right shoulder injury uh, after falling hard on it in that game. Then when he was all set to return, turn he underwent a quad injury and then that kept him out for the rest of the season his stats however in just the very few games that he played were um uh, 225 yards rushing 59 carries and six touchdowns total he also caught 17 passes for 149 yards as we can see this is just completely unbelievable and so that's why he gets injury running back of the year um, and then moving on to my runner-up, and that's Joe Mixon. Um, he had about 14.9 fantasy points per game. So he played for six games at the start of the season until he sustained a foot injury on October 18th against Indianapolis. He did not return to the roster after this. Most likely an injury like this was a midfoot sprain when they mentioned that it was a foot injury. These can be pretty se severe, especially if you injure something like your spring ligament or your plantar fascia and you get a tear in that. Those are injuries that can put you out for many weeks and even months. Um, so he finished this very short season though. However, with 428 yards rushing on 119 carries and four touchdowns. So obviously he got really good uh, fantasy points out of that. Um, yeah, that that's very interesting. I know with the end of the season, Joe Bixon, we were wondering which week he was going to come back before him ultimately being ruled out for the rest of the season. So that is interesting, but definitely if Christian McCaffrey had played um, this season, it looks like his stats, um, I, although they are inflated uh, by the, the, the less amount of games he played, he would probably be around where some of our top running backs are uh, consistent guys like Cook and Kamara. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to move over to the rookie running back of the year, and I'm going to give that to James Robinson. Uh, I believe he, he was undrafted as an NFL player, 
Um, he somehow found his way into the role of the starting running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, for uh, Leonard Fournette was released, obviously. And um, the, because of that, he was under 10% drafted in Yahoo leagues um, heading into the season. And, and it's just uh, interesting that uh, he was one of the top waiver wire pickups between the, week, the weeks one to four. And he consistently produced at an average of 16.1 fantasy points per game. Um, he was just solid all the way through. He had over a thousand rushing yards on the season and um, he, he was just really solid. I, I believe he had around 10 touchdowns on the year. Um, I know an injury put him out late in the season, but he did play most of the season and he, he was the lone bright spot for a, a very poor Jacksonville team this season. Um, and then my runner-up is going to be Jonathan Taylor from the Indianapolis Colts. Um, he averaged 14.1 fantasy points per game. He had around 11 touchdowns on the season and over 1,000 rushing yards on the season. Um, he was just a solid player. Um, he continued to elevate his game as the season went along. Um, and, um, uh, you know, um, just, just being a rookie and all, yeah, he, he was very solid Um he just consistently produced. Uh, he, there were some some rough patches there, um, whether it was between him and the coach or, or just the way that he was running, but he, he definitely fixed that and he became a solid running back for the Colts there at the end of the season uh, when it mattered the most. So those are my um, two rookie uh, running backs that I like with uh, James Robinson being the rookie running back of the year. Um, I'll, I'll go over uh, to you, Nate, uh, in terms of the, the playoff uh, running back of the year. Uh, who do you have there? So for playoff running back of the year, uh, so we're talking about fantasy playoff, of course. Fantasy playoff, sorry. Yeah, weeks yeah, 14 to 16. Just so people 16. don't get confused. Yeah, sorry. Weeks 14 to 16, we consider the fantasy playoffs. So uh, who, who do you have there? So for that, I got um, Alvin Kamara. He's the playoff running back of the year. During the playoffs, he got 30.2 fantasy points per game. And the runner-up is David Montgomery. Uh, he got 23.6 fantasy points per game. And uh, I guess just some quick facts. Camara uh, got 932 rushing yards by the end of the season and 37 uh, reception yards. And he also had a crazy game during a week 16. That was the Christmas game where he had 54.7 um, points. He had six touchdowns, 155 rushing yards, Insane. and three receptions for 17 yards. So that was a crazy game. That was like a game where it was like, if he had one or two people who got zero points, he still could have won. That's how good he was <laughs> during that week. <laughs> and for Montgomery, he got... Uh, 1,070 rushing yards at the end of the season. So that's really good. And for week 16 and 17, he got 19.10 points and 23.7 points. So again, very good numbers. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they were both uh, solid running backs. Many championship teams had these two running backs on their team. Uh, I've known some teams that had both Kamara and Montgomery, so they definitely should have been in contention for a fantasy championship with those two. Um, Victoria, let me go to you. I know I touched a little bit uh, on one of these guys that you have here, but uh, who was your waiver wire uh, running back of the year? 
Yeah, so um, I've labeled my waiver wire running back of the year as James Robinson, who is somebody that you mentioned. Um, he had 16.1 fantasy points per game, and he started off the year being under 10% drafted. Um, and he became that starting running back after Leonard Fournette was released by the team. As James stated, he was the best rookie running back this season. Unfortunately, he suffered an ankle injury in week 15. And as James mentioned, he had lots of great points. So he had uh, 1,070 rushing yards, 240 carries, and 10 total touchdowns. Um, then moving on to my runner-up, so that's Miles Gaskin, and he had about 14.2 fantasy points per game, and he started off the year under 5% drafted. Um, so at the beginning of the season, the Dolphins had about three running backs that were kind of in contention for that top position. So that was Jordan Howard, Matt uh Breda and Gaskin, uh, as I'm mentioning now, and Gaskin outplayed the other two, so he became the starter for the season. Um, he did sustain a few injuries, though, halfway through the season, so he started out in that starter position, but then he sustained an MCL sprain in week eight and then missed five weeks over that, so most likely it was you were looking in the second-degree range of an MCL sprain, but not one that needed surgery. Um, he then sustained a shoulder injury uh, right after he returned, and that put him out for a couple weeks. And then in the middle of his recovery, he was put on the COVID list. Um, and then he closed out the season playing the last two weeks. Um, uh, so he did get some points there. In total, he had 584 rushing yards, 142 carries, and five total touchdowns. Um, so in the limited games that he did play, um, he did play very well. Yeah, surprising with all these injuries and these COVID situations for Gaskin, he was still able to put up a solid uh, about 14 uh, fantasy points per game, which is very solid off the waiver wire. Uh, he's one of those guys that was one of the major pickups throughout the season. And now I'm going to hand out the uh, award for the running back of the year. I, I know this was a tight contest, um, but between the two candidates I have here, I want to make an honorable mention for a third, and that's Derrick Henry for hitting 2,000 yards on the season. That's something that hasn't been done very many times in NFL history. So, so congrats to him. But in terms of fantasy, I have two other guys that I like. I'll start with the runner-up, and that's Dalvin Cook. We talked about his consistency, um, how he put up 22.6 fantasy points per game. He was very solid. I, I believe you said he only had like two or three games under, what was it, 15 points or something? Like the, that, that's insane um, how, how he did that. Uh, that that's very solid. Um, and it, I believe he did have 17 touchdowns on the season. So that's also very fantastic. Um, but I am going to give the running back of the year award to Alvin Kamara um, with a 22.4 fantasy points per game, but also that 30.2 fantasy points per game during the uh, fantasy playoff weeks, 14 to 16, as well as that big Christmas day game. Like you mentioned, six total touchdowns, a hunt over 150 rushing yards. He was insane that day. Uh, he put up over 50 fantasy points in that game. Just, just solid overall. Won many teams, their leagues. He had a total of 21 touchdowns on the season. He had a phenomenal year. So the, the running back of the year award, I am going to give to Alvin Kamara from the New Orleans Saints. Um, and just looking at the landscape of running backs this year, um, a lot of injuries uh, we dealt with. I know uh, another major running back that was injured that we didn't mention was Saquon Barkley. I know he didn't start um, out very well this the season, you know, with the Giants struggling and all, but I believe that uh, he can come back next year in, in a much improved um, offensive line for the Giants and potentially make an impact. So he's another guy 
I don't know if, if you guys will need, I'll start with you. Any other running backs from this year that came to your mind? Um, I guess Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt because I'm a Browns fan. Um, I think uh, Browns fans were expecting, I guess, a breakout season for these two. And I think they've done, done um, really well, especially considering this is the first time the Browns have made it to the playoffs. And Chubb and Hunt were uh, part pretty much like the cornerstone of the offense along with Baker Mayfield. They opened up the offense for him and allowed him to pass. And Chubb is like one of those running backs that he just punches holes through lines. So it's going to be a really exciting to see how far he can kind of take his game. And same thing for Hunt. Yeah, I think Nick Chubb also dealt with an injury as well. So um, there was just a lot of injuries going around. And um, I know we talked about the Dak Prescott injury last week. Uh, Victoria mentioned about everything that happened there. And I guess that affected Ezekiel Elliott in that offense. Uh, he just wasn't the same this year. So hopefully he will be able to rebound next season. Um, Victoria, are there any other guys on your mind that maybe came up in an injury report this year or uh, any other thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, I agree with Sa- Saquon Barkley. He's going to be great next season. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I guess just uh, looking forward to next season, just some of the top running backs. Um, I I know I've definitely seen Christian McCaffrey up there, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, um, Derrick Henry. I've seen Ezekiel Elliott. I've seen Saquon Barkley. Um, Just those are some names. Nick Chubb is another big name for sure. Austin Eckler. Um, you know, just some of the, just some of the guys that, that are probably near the top of the draft board next year. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, great football to look forward to from running backs next season. Um, and I just want to thank you guys for contributing to the running back awards this week. Uh, next week we'll have the wide receiver awards for you, uh, for the fantasy season. Um, and also being able to recap, uh, most likely an incredible Super Bowl game. So, Uh, We'll catch you next week for uh, more fantasy football, and we'll now move to the NBA portion of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. All right, welcome to the basketball portion of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. I'm your host once again, James, and I'm joined by Nate. What's up? What's up? All right, let's just dive into some pickups for fantasy basketball. Um, This week's been an interesting week, and I just want to dive into some of the pickups. I'll start with a couple, and then I'll turn it over to you. Um, I have Nick Batum up here, and I realize that he is already 50% owned uh, in Yahoo leagues, but uh, his rank is 32, um, and he consistently puts up great lines. Um, He's averaged about uh, 15 points in his last uh, two games or so, and uh, he's putting up about four or five rebounds per game as well as adding an assist here or there. And his turnover rate is really low. He only has one turnover in his past uh, three games. So uh, just some solid stuff. Uh, His percentages also won't hurt you. And um, from what uh, I'm seeing, he's getting uh, a lot of minutes, uh, usually around uh, 28 minutes per game, which is very good. So I think Nick Batum is someone that you should add from the Clippers. Um, another person to look at is uh, Theo Maladin from the OKC Thunder. And I know he was starting last week. Uh, he came off the bench uh, in his last couple of games. He did uh, put up a, a respectable average of about uh, eight points per game, about a couple of rebounds and about three assists per game. But in his last two games, he has a combined eight steals. 
fantastic stuff. Um, his field goal, uh, it's been back and forth, but his uh, free throw is very good. It's almost perfect uh, in his last few games. And uh, he, uh, he turns over the ball a little bit, but I don't think it'll hurt you too much. So uh, I believe uh, Theo Maladin should be added. He's only 16% rostered right now, but he's been added over 10% in the last week. So he's definitely someone that you should be jumping on. Um, and Nate, let me go to you for a couple pickups uh, before I share some of my others. Uh, who, who do you like picking up? Sure. So I got a couple of trending pickups. Um, I'll start with uh, uh, Gorgie Jang first. Um, right now he's 16, 16% rostered and he was plus 14 the last day. Um, partially for, I think the reason was that he's had some uh, very good games uh, this past week. He had a bit of a, a dip his last game. But for the most part, he's been he's had over 20 minutes a, a game. And his um, average for this season is 9.6 points, 5 rebounds, and 1.7 assists. And over his last few games this week, he's had over 50% field goal, 2 to 3 threes, 7 to 9 rebounds, and he's had double-digit points. Not, not counting his recent game because he had a dip. And he can, he can get um, most categories for you. He can get threes, points, rebounds, blocks. He can occasionally get assists, but he's not really a playmaker. Those are more like when, when he gets like the, the right play, like when it's the right time to pass, he'll get an assist. But for the most part, he's going to get threes, points, rebounds, and blocks for you. And I also have uh, Gary Trent Jr. Right now, he's 42% rostered, and um, he's went up by 12%. Uh, he's getting over 25 uh, minutes most games. His averages right now are 12.4 points, 1.6 rebounds, and one assist. Uh, he's a shooter for the most part, so that's going to be most of where his value is in. So he's going to get a lot of threes, and he's going to get some points. And uh, he might get some rebounds and steals as well. The only thing is his field goals are going to be affected by how how like on point his threes are. So if his threes are, are off, his field goal might take a dip. But for the most part, he's been doing pretty well. And I also have uh, Reggie Jackson. Um, he's 31% rostered, and he's had 6% um, ads for the last day. And he also gets 20 minutes most games. He has 8.4 points, 2.6 rebounds, 2.7 assists. And over the last week, he's had over 50% field goal, over 60% free throws. And over the last week, he's had two to three threes every game, double-digit points every game, over four rebounds most games, and over three assists most games. And he's had one to two, one to two steals some games. So you should definitely take a look at picking these guys up if you have a chance. All right, that sounds good. Um, getting to some of my, some of my other pickups, I have uh, DeAnthony Melton here from the Memphis Grizzlies, and he's just been solid uh, in his last three games. He's averaged almost twenty points, averaged about five rebounds and five assists 
per game uh, with, I'd say, a couple blocks per game, which is very excellent. Um, and uh, his free throw has also been perfect, which is fantastic. And his shooting percentage has been well over uh, 0.500 per game, which is uh, very excellent. He's been uh, he's 31% rostered in Yahoo leagues, and he's been added over 25% in the last week. So everyone is jumping on Melton. So he's definitely someone that needs to be jumped on quickly before he's added in most leagues. Um, just jumping to another pick, I'll go to Jeff Green. I know some people are saying, "Oh, um, his, uh, uh, oh, his minutes are going to go down," but his minutes haven't gone down. He's averaged around thirty minutes per game. Uh, he's averaged, I'd say, about uh, ten to fifteen points per game, about five to seven rebounds per game, and about three assists per game, while adding a couple steals usually per game. Um, and I know he might turn over the ball a couple times per game, but I don't think it'll hurt you as his. Uh, percentages are also very excellent and he's ranked 84 on on the year so Jeff Green's been fantastic for Brooklyn I think he'll continue to be great for you um he he's close to 40 percent rostered but he's been added around 15 percent in the last week so definitely someone you need to jump on soon as he might not be available in all leagues and I guess just one more to add is Malik Monk. I know he had that big blowout game where he had 36 points, five rebounds, two assists, nine three-pointers, but on average, he'll still get you uh, around 15 points or so per game, usually a couple rebounds, a couple of assists. You know, his, his uh, free throw is usually close to perfect, and his field goal is pretty pretty high. It's close to 0.500, so um, he's just solid overall. Um, although um, Monk might not be starting every game for Charlotte, he's definitely someone to look to add if you if you want uh, stable uh, percentages and and points totals. So uh, that's all I have. Uh, Nate, do you have any more, or can we move into the previews? I've got um one more. So I have um Royce O'Neal. Um, he is a plus twenty seven rostered right now and a plus seven percent for the last day. Um, he's averaging 8.6.6 rebounds, 2.4 assists. He gets over 30 minutes a game because he, he is a starter. And he gets at least one three-pointer every game. And he's the kind of player that he fills out almost all categories. And he has a decent field goal percentage. And he gets one to two blocks a game. Like, he may not get, like, a crazy high numbers, but he gets decent numbers for multiple categories. So sure. if you need someone who, who is like pretty versatile and somebody who's, uh, I guess, off the bench in fantasy, you should definitely pick him up. And one more thing I forgot to mention about um, Gorgie uh, Jang is that um, JV is still injured right now. So uh, Gorgie Jang is probably going to get uh, more minutes for the time being until JV comes back. So that's another thing to factor in. I believe JV's on the COVID list. So yeah, um, it's how, however the extent of him being out is, uh, Diang will be the starter. Um, just before we get to some of the previews, I just want to take a look at the, the NBA standings. Um, just looking at the East, you got Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Boston, I say, are, are the top four teams there. And then you kind of got the the other remaining teams. You got Indiana, who's pretty close to those teams. Then the the other teams, a lot of them have losing records. We have Atlanta, Cleveland, Charlotte, New York, Toronto, Chicago. The list goes on. Um, I guess just your thoughts on the East this year, and if any of those uh, 
teams below the top five can get into a winning record uh, going into the playoffs? Um, I guess the biggest surprises for me were, I guess, the Cavaliers and the Hornets. I think for the Cavs, we were expecting them to kind of be in rebuild mode, but they've proved that they're still a playoff team. Right now, they're uh, sixth in the league, and they're almost 500, so that's really surprising. Same with the Hornets. They were like a bottom team in the East for years, and uh, now this this year, they're eighth, so... That's a really good improvement for the Hornets. I'm sure Charlotte fans are going to be really happy about that. They're also almost 500. Um, For the teams at the bottom, it's going to be hard to see. Uh, I guess it will depend on the schedule. I'm sure, for example, Heat fans have been disappointed because they've had a lot of injuries. But I think if they can get some of their starter starter players to come back they definitely have a chance at a playoff run yeah i think just looking at it i think atlanta can get into a winning record they definitely have the team to do it i know they they've had some guys out as well so assuming they get their guys back they can get into a winning record and then possibly uh if toronto can turn it around i could see them potentially having a winning record as well as miami if they get healthy so that might round out your your eight playoff teams there and hopefully they'll all have a winning record to legitimize the Eastern conference. And then just going to the West, you got Utah in first. I know they're not talked about as much. Then you got the Clippers, you got the Lakers, you got the Nuggets, uh, and then you got Phoenix. So that's, I'd say there's like a big five there. Those are the top five teams so far. And then Memphis, who's been playing well as of late, uh, I believe they've won seven out of their last 10. Then you got Portland, you got Golden State. And then San Antonio is just outside and then Houston's picked it up as of late as well. And they're, they have a 500 record. So I, I guess maybe from Memphis, Portland, Golden State, the Spurs and Houston, uh, which two teams do you think might not make the playoffs there? It's going to be really close for sure. But I think that um, I don't really um, see Houston making it depending on how close it's going to be mainly because they're kind of missing the production of Harden right now I know they they did um get I believe it was John John Wall but I think so far this is just the first year it's pretty much like a different roster and they're trying to kind of figure the system out so if we don't see them in the playoffs I don't think it's going to be too surprising yeah, and I think that Memphis is kind of playing above their heads, uh, of course, being without JV and others. Um, and until they get those guys back, um, I'm not sure how well they're going to play going forward. They are on a good run, so I don't want to dismiss that at all. Um, San Antonio, of course, is my team, so I'm hoping that they can sort of continue what they were doing. They, they've been okay over their, their last 10 games or so. But uh, uh, if they want to make the playoffs, they're really going to have to make a push. And then one team near the bottom that I could definitely see moving up as they get healthier is the Dallas Mavericks. I know they've had a lot of players out, especially due to COVID. Um, and they have been playing better as of late. So hopefully they're a team that can turn it around. Um, let's just get into uh, the preview. Um, I'll, I'll extend it to you. Just some games that you're looking forward to in this upcoming week's slate. Uh, so I think on Thursday, it's going to be an interesting game between the Jazz and the Hawks. 
the Jazz right now are first in the West and the Hawks are sixth in the East. So the Jazz have been on, I guess, pretty much a quiet, like a quiet tear in on the league. Like they've been pretty overlooked, I would say. I know they're not like a, a big market, so it's going to be interesting to to see how well the Jazz perform this week, and it'll it'll be interesting to uh, to see see them prove why they're first in the East. But it'll also be interesting to kind of see how the Hawks do against the Jazz as well. And for Friday, there's also the Raptors versus the Nets. Um, the Raptors are on a two-game winning streak. They beat Orlando in a back-to-back. And the Nets are third in the East. And the Raptors really need this win because uh, the Raptors fans, they're kind of used to the Raptors being in the playoffs every year. So there's a little bit of um, pressure there. Currently, the Raptors are ninth. And the Nets have had a lot of close games, so there might be a chance for an upset, especially with how the Raptors have been playing defense. And on Monday, there's the Bucks versus the Nuggets. Nuggets are fourth in the West, and the Bucks are second in the East, so I think it's going to be a really high-level game. And on Tuesday, there's the Celtics versus the Jazz. So Celtics are fourth in the East and Jazz are first in the West. So again, another high-level game. And if we see them in the finals, it could potentially be a preview of the finals game, but we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Those sound like some intriguing games. I'll just list a few that I am looking forward to. On Thursday, you got the Lakers against the Nuggets. That's a huge matchup with a big Western Conference implications. The Lakers, of course, being third as we speak in the West and the Nuggets being fourth. Uh, so that's that's always a, a good matchup. I believe those two teams were also the teams that were in the um, Western Conference Finals last year, if I'm not mistaken. So um fantastic matchup for sure um and then looking at friday we've got the celtics against the clippers obviously the celtics one of the big four teams in the east as of right now and the clippers being second in the west uh it should be a great matchup uh superstars on both sides uh exciting game to look forward to and then i'm looking to saturday slate Uh, we've got the nets against the 76ers that's a big game uh first place 76ers uh up in the east as well as the third place nets as we speak in the east so uh, big time players on both sides for those two teams as well we'll definitely see uh, how things shake up in that game and then i guess just moving to a, a spurs game i wanted to talk about a spurs against warriors both monday and tuesday they're playing a back-to-back the warriors are eighth right now in the west and the spurs are ninth so uh, if a team can take both of those games that could really establish them in a playoff spot and really hurt the other team. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Hopefully the Spurs can take both games and I can see them sort of move up in the Western Conference standings, but uh, Golden State has been playing pretty well as of late. So we'll see how everything shakes out. Um, And I'm just wondering any last thoughts uh, on uh, whether it's the NBA season, any other pickups, uh, just anything NBA in general? I guess a general NBA thing would be that um, 
there's been a lot of, I guess, big changes in terms of standings. There's a lot of teams that we didn't expect to be in the top eight, and they're in the top eight right now. And there's a lot of teams that we expected to be in the top eight right now, but they're not. So I think as of right now, this um, the standings right now may not be finalized. There might be some teams that we don't see coming and they're going to be in the playoffs. So this is going to be an, I guess, sort of a anybody can take it kind of year, I think. Yeah, uh, we've seen that. Um, injuries have had a big part in that and it being a little bit of a shorter season i believe it's only a 70 or 72 game season compared to the normal 82 so that does have an impact teams have less time to get it together i believe now is sort of the time where they got to start getting it together or else they could completely fall off teams like the timberwolves or the pistons being last in their respective conferences as we speak it's it's very tough you know they uh, i know the timberwolves haven't had carl anthony towns and I know the Pistons just haven't played well overall, but definitely those teams should be pushing the panic button at this time. Um, and then, yeah, um, there's just been a lot of change overall. This is shaping up to be an exciting NBA season this year. We'll see what happens and which teams get into the playoffs. Um, and I guess uh, that's what we have for you today for um, the basketball portion of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. Thanks again, Nate, for your time. And now we'll head over to the hockey portion of the podcast. Welcome back to the hockey segment of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. I'm your host, Nathan, and we're here with our hockey expert, James Kumar. Hey, what's up, man? So so this week, we're going to be looking at some pickups, and we're going to preview some games for you. So we'll just jump into the pickups. So James, uh, what forwards do you have this week for us? Um, just taking a look at some of the forwards I have for pickups. Um, I'll start with Vincent Trocek, and uh, he's just been playing amazing um, these past few weeks. Um, he's 37% owned around in, in Yahoo um, as of right now as we're recording, and he's been added 12% within the last week. Um, in his most recent games, uh, he's had like four points in, in his last three games. Uh, he's been a plus two. He's had 13 shots in those three games, as well as added eight hits. So he's been on fire. He's definitely someone that you need to add. If you have a center that's underwhelming, if you have an injury to a center, maybe someone like Nathan McKinnon. I know a lot of people are struggling with their McKinnon injury. Vincent Trocek is definitely someone to pick up. Uh, just looking at some other forwards here, I got Brandon Saad. Um, even uh, not being on Nathan McKinnon's line in Colorado, playing with Nazem Kadri, he's just played really well. Um, he's had, um, what in his past, like four or five games, he he's had about four or five goals. So he's almost had a goal per game. Um, he's uh, chipped in about three or four assists in those games. Uh, he's been a, a solid, uh, plus three in his last uh, four or five games, um, put up some points on the power play. Uh, he's put up around two shots per game and he's added uh, one or two hits in there. So I'd say he chips in, in pretty well. And I mean, his ice time has been around 15 minutes, but with McKinnon being out, I feel like he'll uptick. So he'll be closer to the 20 minute range, where kind of, which is kind of where you want to be with star forwards. So Brandon Sod is sort of moving into that range where he needs to be owned. He's only 25% rostered right now on Yahoo. And he's playing uh, in Colorado, most likely bumped up to the first power play with McKinnon being out. So he's definitely going to get a lot of power play time. So he's definitely someone that needs to be added. I'm also want to look at Joel Farabee. 
Um, I know the most popular ad this past week was James Van Riemsdyk from Carolina. I know he's over 50% owned now, but looking at Joel Farabee, he's under 25% owned in Yahoo. Uh, he had a hat trick in his last game. Uh, some people are concerned about the ice time, but he's getting at least two shots per game with that ice time and around one hit per game. Um, and over this season, uh, he's just been phenomenal. Um, he's had uh, five goals, three assists, plus two, two power play points, 22 shots and four hits over the year. So uh, with his limited ice time and just being on a solid Philadelphia team, he's not going to hurt you in any categories. And he can play both left wing and right wing. So that's another bonus for Farabee. Um, another forward to look uh, at is uh, Nick Ritchie. Uh, one thing about him is uh, he'll chip in and hits big time. Um, over the this past month, he's had 12 hits. So he's just been phenomenal in that area. He's had uh, around two or three shots per game. Uh, he's chipped in at least a point over his last five games. So around five games, he's averaged a point per game. And he's just been solid, even playing on Boston's power play. So um, that ex- that top-end exposure with guys like Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron, other top-end players on the Bruins uh, makes Nick Ritchie a solid add. Um, and then just one more forward just to rehash from last week is Carter Verhage. It's clear not enough people are picking him up because he's still only 20% owned in Yahoo. Um, he's just been scoring at an unreal pace being on that top line. Um, he's had three goals in his past four games. He's uh, been in the plus. He's averaged like three shots per game. He's thrown a hit or two per game. He's just solid, solid, solid averaging almost 20 minutes of ice time and he's only 20% owned. That's insane. He needs to be picked up right away. Can play both center and left wing. It's on the top line in Florida playing with guys like Alexander Barkov. So he's definitely someone that should be owned. Um, And I I think that's about it for, for forwards. I know you said you had some. Yeah. So I guess I'll talk a little bit about who I got. So uh, for Arizona, I have Connor Garland. Uh, right now, he's about 41% owned. And he has three goals, four assists. Um, he's plus three, and he has 32 shots on goal this season. Um, I believe for his last few games, he's been getting a bunch of shots on goal, and his plus minus has been uh, really good. And I think he's had about, yeah, he's been, he's had three, three goals so far. So um, he can also play left wing and right wing. So I definitely recommend picking him up before he becomes over 50% rostered. And for center, there's Joel Erickson Eck. Um, he's, just uh, jumped up in ownership by plus 10. He's about 51% rostered, so it's going to be hard to find him, but if you find him, pick him up when you can. So far, he's ranked 28. Um, He has five goals, four assists. He's plus eight, and he has 29 shots on goals. So if you're really behind on plus minus, you should definitely pick him up. Mm -hmm. And for another uh, wing player, I've got Jordan Greenway. He's 25% rostered, and he's plus 18% since the last day. He has 
two goals, eight assists. He's plus eight, and he has 14 shots on goal. So, again, if you need some assists and you need some plus minus, he's uh, definitely a good wing player for that. So now we'll move on to defense. So who are some uh, defense players that you think people should pick up? Yeah, just looking at uh, one or two defense uh, players to pick up. Uh, I'll also go back to Minnesota. I know you had mentioned a couple of players. I'll look at Jonas Brodeen. Um, and just over his past uh, few games, uh, he's been, uh, I'd say his last three or four games, he's put up about a point per game. Uh, he's added about three or four shots on goal per game as well. And that's pretty good for a defenseman. You don't normally get a lot of shots from defensemen. Uh, he's logging close to 25 minutes per game. So I know that might hurt his plus minus a little bit. But um, he's just been solid in terms of point production. He's been added 13% in the last week. So he's still under 20% owned. If you need like that fifth defenseman to, you know, throw in on an off night, uh, he's definitely someone that you could look at. Um, and then taking a look at Rasmus Anderson from the Calgary Flames. Um, he's still on the top power play in Calgary, playing with guys like uh, Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, uh, Matthew Kachak, Elias Lindholm. Uh, and he's a solid pickup. I know that his offensive totals haven't really been uh, where they're they're at, but um, he's been averaging, what, three shots a game almost. Uh, he's been throwing in about a hit per game, uh, chipping in on the power play as well. When he does score points, most of them do come on the power play. And his plus minus won't hurt you. He's been about even over the year. So uh, I think Rasmus Anderson, definitely because of the position that he's playing on Calgary, needs to be added. And his point totals will pick up. Uh, you, you just need to be a little patient with him. And that's what I have for defense. Sounds good. So for some of the defenders that I have, um, I guess for the a Washington defender, I have Justin Schultz. He's still 29% rostered. And he has two goals, four assists. He's plus nine. And his shots on goal are 14. And Washington is like one of the best teams in the East right now. So his plus minus is always going to be really high. So he's another um, plus minus guy that you're probably going to want to have on your team. And 14 shots on goal, that's pretty good for a defender, I think. And for Vancouver, there's Tyler Myers. Uh, he has one goal, five assists. His plus minus is zero so far, which is not bad. And he has 20 shots on goal. So he's a very uh, versatile defender. Um, and uh, he has five assists, so that's really good. I believe he's he throws plus, a lot of hits too. Yeah, he gets a lot of hits. He's had, yeah. He gets at least one or two hits almost every game. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. He's somewhere around there. So he's definitely a hits recommendation for sure. Yeah, so if you need hits and you need assists, you should probably pick him up. And uh, for that's pretty much for the defenders that I have um, right now. I think Justin Schultz and Tyler Myers, you should probably uh, pick those those guys up, especially if you have somebody who's like out. Um, these guys, they're going to do more than just hold the line for you. I think so, uh, Devon Taves, we recommended him last week and he got hurt. So yeah. yeah, definitely if you want to replace Devon Taves, one of these guys you can definitely use to replace him off the waiver. Yeah, that's true. 
And for goalies, who do you think people should pick up for that? Yeah, I think the the number one pickup for goalies this week should be James Reimer, and that's because of the injury to Peter Mrazek. Um, they said Mrazek might be out long-term. So I think just adding a guy like uh, James Reimer, I know that he's been fantastic in, in his last uh, few games. Uh, I believe his last, I believe his only four games, he's won all of them. So he's been fantastic. Um, I have no idea why he's under 50% rostered. He's won all four games he started this season. That's very fantastic. Um, his goals against average is phenomenal. Uh, I believe it's around um, a 2.0 uh, or so. Um, his, his goals against average is, is fantastic. Save percentage around 9.10. So very good stats, solid stats. And he he's playing on a solid Carolina team. So uh, his four wins in a row, I mean, he's, he's playing, what, Chicago, Columbus in his next uh, few games. The, the, there can be some wins there. Uh, probably two out of three games there he can he can get wins. And um, I think Reimer is definitely the best option on the wire for goalies. Um, and then just taking a look at Jake Allen, I know people will say, oh, he's a backup for Montreal. But whenever he plays in net, he's been great. Um, I know uh, he lost recently 2-0 uh, to Calgary, but he only allowed two goals. And uh, one of them, actually, he didn't even allow the two goals. One of them was an empty netter, so he only allowed one goal in that game. Um, then he won his most recent meeting with Vancouver. And then uh, he won a pass meeting with Vancouver and a pass meeting against Edmonton. So he's three wins, one loss on the year. His uh, statistics are fantastic. Um, uh, over the year, he's, he's only allowed uh, 1.6 uh, goals per game, which is phenomenal. Safe percentage of about 930. So he's just, he's really playing at a high level. You might get one or two starts from him per week, depending on how many games Montreal plays. So if you're getting at least a start a week from a backup, he's great to have, especially if he's putting up better stats. It's better to own a backup with good stats than a starter with poor stats. I know that uh, if, if anyone owns Thomas Grice from Detroit, I don't recommend it because even though he is a he's a good goalie, he just he's on a very bad team. So his stats aren't going to be good. It's better to own a backup like Jake Allen. So that's what I have for goalies. Yeah, I think for goalies, like sometimes there's just goalies that can come off the bench and they're better than their starters. So just because they're starting doesn't always mean that they're going to be better. Yeah, guys like uh, Yarrow Halak from Boston. Um, I know the the goaltending situation in Vegas, both both Laner and Flurry are solid goalies. Um, you got other situations like Jack Campbell from Toronto. Um, and then maybe a guy like, um, uh, you know, um, like I mentioned, Jake Allen, uh, a Brian Elliott from, from Philadelphia, that kind of thing. There's sol some solid backup goalies out there that should be owned. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I've also got a couple of goalies. Um, I think for the Buffalo Sabres, I have Linus Allmark. Um, he's about 33% rostered. Um, so far he has three wins and his save percentage is 91.4%. So that's really good. It's pretty solid. Yeah. yeah. And let's see. I also have, uh, Kevin Lankinen for the Chicago Blackhawks. He's 42% rostered. He is, I think the, uh, his rank right now is 35 and he also has three wins, and his save percentage is 93.7%. So that's really good. 
on Chicago too. That's that's yeah. stellar. He needs to be picked up. Yeah, you should pick him up right away. <laughs> and like his, I think his, uh, he had like plus sixteen percent ads. So, like pretty much yesterday, he was only thirty six percent rostered, and now he's forty two percent rostered. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that you know in a matchup against Carolina, he he could you know potentially pull off an upset uh, with the way he's been playing. So you should watch out for that. Um, he, his stats have just been solid. Um, his goals against average might hurt you if if Chicago's allowing a lot of goals, but it looks like his safe percentage is going to be solid because even if they allow a lot of shots, he's not going to allow more than a certain amount of goals on those shots. So his safe percentage, it it looks amazing right now. Yeah, he's definitely one of those goalies that's like, even though the team is like not the best team, he's still he's still like he's like one of those goalies that like he kind of carries the team, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess sort of like maybe like a Carey Price or like a John Gibson where their teams weren't always good, but they've always been solid. So, yeah. So speaking of teams, we're going to go into our uh preview for our games so uh what games do you think people should tune in for yeah i'll just take one game from each division as usual over the slate this week and sort of just uh talk about why i'm intrigued by these matchups so we'll start on thursday with nashville against florida uh, florida actually has a, a 5-0-1 record they haven't lost a game in regulation so i just want to see if florida can keep up this streak i know they've been playing really solid hockey as of late I know Nashville's had a lot of their games canceled due to COVID, whether it's them or whether it's teams that they've had to face. So they haven't played a lot of games this year. I, I don't even think they've played 10 games yet this year. So uh, I think this will be an interesting matchup for both teams to sort of see uh, w- which way that each team is trending. And then uh, on Saturday and Sunday, we're getting Colorado against St. Louis. I know Nathan McKinnon won't be in the lineup for Colorado. And St. Louis has been on fire since the last time these two teams met. So I think these matchups will be really interesting between the two. It'll sort of see who the best team in the West Division uh, will be right now uh, with Vegas still coming back from COVID and all that. Um, Yeah, these two matchups will be amazing between these two Titans in the West. And then from the East Division, Sunday and Tuesday, Philadelphia is playing Washington. Right now, those teams are first and second in the East. So that'll be a, a matchup telling uh, which uh, of the teams is sort of should be at the top of that division. And then just looking up to, to Wednesday, uh, we got Toronto against Montreal. And those are the two Titans from the North division. Uh, both teams playing really solid. Uh, Montreal just won uh, their last game uh, and uh, Toronto did come up short in their previous game, but they're, both teams have a very solid record and are both near the top of the NHL standings. Uh, the last two, the last game these two teams played went to overtime with Toronto coming out on top. So let's see what happens in the matchup between these two on Wednesday. Sounds good. A lot of um, high-level matchups this week. Yeah, um, I think, uh, what is it, like three out of the four matchups I looked at are like top three teams in each division facing each other. So solid, solid matchups. That sounds good. So some of my teams, they're not necessarily top tier, but most of them are pretty solid. Uh, For example, on Thursday, I have uh, Minnesota versus the Avalanche. Uh, They just played on Tuesday and Colorado beat them, but Minnesota is probably going to look to kind of get the split. 
Uh, so far, uh, Minnesota is third and the Avalanche are second in the West. So again, this isn't like going to be like a top tier first versus second matchup. But again, this is going to be uh, a battle between two very solid teams. So I think we're going to be able to expect some high level hockey from them. And on th- uh, Thursday at the same day, there's going to be Dallas versus the Blue Jackets. Uh, Dallas is third and Columbus is fifth. I think Dallas, they're coming off of, they. I think, I believe last week, there a lot of their games were postponed because of the COVID situation and they came, they just came back and now they're already third. So that's kind of uh, really amazing to see that even uh, with the, lack of practice that they've had they've proven proven that they're one of the best teams in their division so i'm pretty mm-hmm. interested to see if they can kind of continue that and uh for the east division on friday i have uh boston versus the flyers uh philadelphia is first in the east right now and the bruins are third so uh the bruins are historically a really solid team and mm-hmm. Philly is on fire right now, so I think you can expect another high-level hockey matchup. And in the North, we've got the Battle of Alberta for you guys. <laughs> uh, we have Edmonton versus Calgary. Uh, they're the division rivals in the North, and they both really need this win. This is going to be the first time that they face, but I believe last season they had a very physical game. There was a lot of big hits. There was a, a fight, I believe. So more than one. There were brawls, scraps. I, I believe both goalies fought. So, <laughs> so you're most likely going to see another physical game. So if you like that old old school hockey, a lot of big hits and stuff, um, you're probably going to be excited to see Edmonton versus Calgary. And if you uh, live in Alberta, you're going to want to see this match, especially if you're a fan of one of these two teams. So this is the uh, hockey preview. Um, I think, again, this is probably going to be another really good um, week for hockey. Um, So far, I think the... NHL has had some uh, really solid games. So I was just wondering um, about, I guess, some general thoughts about the state of each of the divisions this year. Um, I, I guess just a general thought. Um, the the North division looks like it's the highest scoring division. So um, like I know we've seen games go to eight or nine goals for, for a team in one game. It's just been been a, it's been uh, really high scoring a lot of the top NHL scores right now have come out of the north division and it's the division that's been the closest as well um I, I believe the first to sixth place team are seven points apart only so that's like what three wins between the first three and a half wins between the first and sixth place team so that that's really close and then to the east um uh, you can kind of tell which are the top four teams I know Pittsburgh's kind of faded so they are that fourth team but uh uh, I know Washington, Philadelphia, Boston, Pittsburgh sort of seem to be like the top four teams there. Um, looking at the Central, um, we've also seen a, a big four over there with uh, Florida being on top. 
Uh, and then you got Dallas, you got Tampa Bay, and you got Carolina. So uh, these teams look to be very solid this year in that division. And then looking at the West, I know Vegas was the top team before their a lot of their games got postponed. And then you got, of course, St. Louis, Minnesota, Colorado. So another big four over there. So you can kind of see the top four uh, rounding out in, in each division. Um, and uh, before we forget, actually, I wanted to to look at the hockey pool uh, for this week uh, to see, you know, who who's uh, coming out on top. And uh, let me just take a look right now to see where we're at for the hockey pool to see who is in first right now. And I'm still in first place. Plan the parade. I'm ahead of uh, Sagan Sunday, which, you know, is our um, injury reporter, Victoria. I'm up uh, by 19 points now. So I've gained about, let's say, nine points over the last time that we checked. I believe I did have like a 10-point lead last time. So uh, it's about 19-point lead. So uh, I'm definitely settling in as the top team right now. And let's check where you are, Nate. You're actually fourth right now, so you're doing pretty well as well. I'll take that. I mean, hey, right? We gotta gotta sort of keep moving up. And I mean, you you are forty two points behind me, but that can be made up, you know, with injuries and you know just solid nights from your players. So, yeah, I mean, you are the hockey expert, so that's kind of to be expected. I know if I lose, then am I really the hockey expert? <laughs> so, yeah. So, hopefully the. Uh, some of our viewers who joined our pool, hopefully they can kind of catch up with us. So I was wondering. You'll have to interview me. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess just for the sake of the interest of all the viewers, what are the standings so far for all the teams? Oh, you're going to make me go through all the standings. Well, I'll just list the top five, Um, the top five uh, in order of names, plan the parade. Sagan Sunday, Jonathan's team, Jake Paul's L, and Stall Tactics are the top five right now. So uh, those teams are looking good. Um, and then I guess anyone that wasn't listed, um, I guess you just got to catch up and then you'll hear your name on this podcast. Yeah, sounds good. Hopefully their team can uh, catch up. And for those who are um, third and fifth, hopefully they can catch up to James so that they can get an interview. And hopefully for you, James, you stay on top so that we can keep calling you the hockey expert. Well, I mean, if you have to interview me, I mean, I've always got hockey advice for everyone, like I said, so I don't mind doing the interview. Yeah, no problem. So this is going to be the end of the hockey uh, segment for the Fantasy Fanatics podcasts. Uh, tune in next week for some more pickups and some for more previews. All right. Welcome to the injury portion of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined once again by our Sheridan College AT student, Victoria. What's up? Hi. Uh, let's just jump right into some injuries. We have the Super Bowl coming this weekend. Um, for In terms of uh, fantasy or offense, uh, we have uh, three main injuries. Um, uh, we'll start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Antonio Brown. Uh, he didn't play last game against the Green Bay Packers. So what are his chances of playing for the Super Bowl? Yeah, so a couple weeks ago against the Saints in the playoffs, Antonio Brown underwent a knee injury. He was labeled as day-to-day. However, he did not play this week. Um, 
sorry, not this week, the week uh, against the, the Packers. Yeah. Yeah. That one. And then also now this past week where they had a break, he didn't, he obviously did not play. So he's had that two weeks of rest. Um, at this moment though, he is still very doubtful. Um, if he will play, he did have a limited practice this week on Wednesday, uh, but the injury report listed him as doubtful. So this looking at that, we do not know if he'll play even if they label him as active, they have done this with other players from other teams where they were active and then didn't end up playing. They might just put him there as if we need him, we'll use him kind of thing, but he may not see many, uh, many passes uh, and that kind of thing. He may not be on the field much. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then um, um, uh, that was the last of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, And then moving to the Kansas City Chiefs, I have two names here. The first is Sammy Watkins. Um, He hasn't played um, at all during this playoff. So what are his chances of playing in the Super Bowl? I know he had a big impact in last year's Super Bowl. Yeah, so he uh, is out due to a calf injury. He practiced on Wednesday, and he claims he's actually very optimistic for playing on Sunday. He's missed these last few weeks, mainly because of a lot of swelling in his uh, calf. Um, The sign of swelling is obviously not good because this probably indicates a second-degree injury. Um, However, he's now been out for three weeks total of rest and recovery, and that's the amount of time that you need for a second-degree calf strain or contusion, whatever it may be that he might need to recover so I do think he will play as he himself is very optimistic and so I think we will see him this Sunday um and then lastly the running back for the Kansas City Chiefs Le'Veon Bell I know Clyde Edwards Hilaire did return lot to last week's game so he should be good to go but what about Le'Veon Bell yeah, so he's been struggling with this questionable knee since uh, the last couple of weeks of this season. He was held out of the AFC Championship game over it, and he was experiencing major swelling in practices. This type of injury could obviously be from a sprained ligament or a middle uh, torn joint capsule. This may also be a form of jumper's knee where the patellar tendon is inflamed or bursitis of the knee as well. Um, I've mentioned previously with these kinds of swelling injuries, especially jumper's knee and bursitis, they depend on flare-ups. And so if he experiences one, he won't play. And if he doesn't, then he will. He looks good to go. However, in the reports say he is expected to play. So if he doesn't, then you'll know it's probably due to a flare-up just before the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, Let's move to the NBA and just take a look at some injuries. Um, uh, What about Larry Nance? What's an update on him? Yeah, so he played on Friday of last week and Sunday, but it seems um, this right wrist pain that I mentioned last week is back as he was experiencing it again. It kept him out of both Monday and Wednesday's game. He's questionable for Friday's game right now, so we're going to need to watch and see regarding him. All right, what about LaMarcus Aldridge? Yeah, so he was out from Wednesday's, Wednesday's game with a right hip flexor muscle soreness. This coach stated that he will be out a little bit longer than expected because this coach made the statement that he'll be out for a bit and then also mentioned the word operation in his report that he will not need an operation. This indicates that they were probably thinking he did. So this probably leads me to believe this is a second degree hip flexor strain. Um, He wouldn't have mentioned that word unless that was a possibility. So if so, he's probably going to be out for three weeks or so. So I would put him on your IR. All right. What about DeAndre Hunter from the Hawks? 
Yeah, so he's been out since Friday with a knee injury. After getting an MRI to see what has been going on, this MRI revealed this kind of wear and tear on his articular cartilage of his right knee. So what the articular cartilage is, is at the ends of your bones and your kneecap and all bones, you have this cartilage that surrounds and it. it's like this white kind of tissue and it helps to prevent a lot of friction. Um, and so with wear and tear, um, sometimes there's no direct mechanism with this. This is just constant, you know, playing sports, just wear and tear, things can happen. They can break down. You can get swelling and pain in the area. So he'll be out for the next week and then the docs will reevaluate and see if he's ready to play after about a week. Um, so for now, keep him out, out of your lineup. Um, what about Derek Jones Jr.? Yeah, so he suffered a left foot sprain last week in Thursday's game against Houston. So just to break down what possibly could be going on, we don't have, we do, what we know, sorry, he doesn't have to do with any ligaments around the ankle or else they would have said it was an ankle sprain. It could be a sprain of like his sprig ligament, for example, which stabilizes the arches of his foot. It could be his short plantar ligament. If it's a midfoot sprain, it could also be a forefoot sprain. So it could be like a sprain of your plantar plates, which are the ones that run from your metatarsals to your proximal phalanxes this would be turf toe is what we'd call that in football but there's not really turf mm -hmm. in uh, basketball um mm -hmm. so because of this uh, we obviously don't know what it is but he could possibly return this weekend so it seems this injury was only a first degree nature um so doesn't matter what it is we should see him back by this weekend um what about pj washington from the hornets yeah, so he left Monday's game with a right foot sprain. He did not play Wednesday either. Nothing much has been said. And like I talked about with the possibilities of the foot sprains um, in the last injury with Derek Jones, um, he is likely suffering with one of these that I mentioned. We have no timeline for him. So for now, keep him on your bench and just keep watching updates regarding him. Um, what about James Wiseman from Golden State? Yeah, so he sustained a sprained left wrist in Saturday's night's game. He underwent an MRI, and this confirmed the sprain. The team said he'll be reevaluated re in about a week's time. The Warriors coach says he should be back within 10, 10 days, so this MRI probably confirmed a first-degree sprain of his left wrist and not something much more severe. Um, and so a first-degree strain takes, uh, sorry, sprain takes about a week or two at most to recover from, so keep him on your bench for now, and he should be back by mid to late next week um and what about marcus smart from the boston celtics yeah so he sustained a calf strain the team has announced it's only a first degree calf strain and have labeled him two to three weeks however it's only if it's only a first degree strain he should be back at about two weeks instead of three weeks time um so that's a good sign uh, but obviously keep him on your bench for now um, what about aaron gordon i heard he suffered a pretty severe injury what was that yeah, so he sustained an ankle sprain against the Raptors. After watching the footage, you can see him moving into the zone, and as he steps forward, he lands in this inverted position. Mm -hmm. It looked like a pretty severe injury, and so now he's expected to miss four to six weeks. No surgery has been announced, so most likely this is just a second-degree sprain of either his ATFL or CFL ligaments, which are on the lateral aspect or outside of his ankle, which he would have stretched out when turning his ankle inward. So I'd put him on your IR for now as he's going to be out for a little while yeah well um i guess uh, now moving to the nhl and some injuries there um we found out about peter morazic what's up with his injury how long will he be out 
Yes, yeah, so he suffered a right thumb injury on January 30th against Dallas. He just underwent surgery on it, and he's been labeled a long, longer-term injury. Most likely, he had a third-degree sprain, which would have been a complete tear, and it's most likely his ulnar collateral ligament. So if, when looking at your thumb, it'd be the ligament that surrounds here, and it goes from the head of your um, uh, metatarsal, metacarpal sorry, to your proximal phalanx. Um, he's currently day to day. Sorry, not him. <laughs> um, he is currently out, not day to day, um, um, as he's has to recover from this surgery. Um, he's probably going to be six to eight weeks, approximately, is the timeline for this. Um, so put him on your IR for now. Yeah, and with a shortened fifty-six game schedule, that could be up to maybe twenty to thirty games, depending. So that is a long-term injury, as we mentioned in our hockey pickups. James Reimer is a must-add in all leagues, as he will be the Carolina Hurricane starter going forward. Um, let's look at Chris Letang. What's his injury? So he's out with a lower body injury after facing the Rangers. I got to watch the video footage of the moment of the injury and we see him going to the boards and kind of slam into them. And it looks like he may have gotten in some kind, some kind of contusion. So which would be like a large bruise. So he kind of went in kind of from the back and side. So it could obviously be something like a hip pointer injury, which would be his hip bone um, slamming against the boards and causing a large bruise in that area. Or he could also be a gluteal contusion, which would be his, obviously his glute muscles slamming into the boards and also uh, having the same effect. He's currently day-to-day and does not play until Saturday. So I think he should be back by then unless the team announces it as something more severe, such as a second degree contusion and puts him on that injury reserve. So for now, keep him benched and see how he's doing uh, Saturday morning before you put him in. Um, And then for the Colorado Avalanche, I know they had a long list of injuries. We'll just go over a couple of them that really relate to fantasy. We'll we'll talk about Nathan McKinnon and also uh, Devon Taves. Yeah, so Nathan McKinnon has sustained a lower body injury and is labeled week to week. Of course, this injury could be anything and most likely of a second degree nature with large tissue damage like a sprain or strain or contusion. I'd put him on IR for now and check on him week to week. Uh, Moving on to Devin Taves. So he sustained an injury in his foot after blocking a shot on Thursday night. He does not have a fracture. This is something that they confirmed by x-ray. So most likely he's suffering from a foot contusion. He'll miss the next couple of weeks. So just keep him out of your lineup for now. Um, what about Tyler Bertuzzi? Yeah, so Tyler Bertuzzi has an upper body injury, of course, with this incredible discretion in the NHL, not really revealing much. This could obviously be almost anything. However, he definitely won't play the next six games as the Red Wings are on the road during this time. And getting him to fly commercial would not be ideal at this COVID-19 time. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep him out until February 15th, which will be their next home game, and he should be back by then. Okay, um, what about Matt Dumba? What kind of injury does he have? Yeah, so Matt Dumba sustained an injury in the third period against the Avalanche on Saturday. His left skate kind of got tied up with his own teammate, Jordan Greenway's right skate and Dumba's right leg then kind of collapsed underneath him. This is most likely some kind of knee injury. Of course, it could be a lot of different things. Um, And he's been placed on the injury reserve and the coach says it doesn't look good. So hopefully this doesn't mean something like an ACL injury or MCL injury. Um, He'll likely be out for the next two to three weeks at least. So just keep watching him and see what happens after those two to three weeks. 
Um, what about Sam Reinhart for the Buffalo Sabres? Yes, yeah, so he sustained an upper body injury that has kept him out the last two games. The team does not play until February 11th due to COVID cancellations, and he's traveling with the team on that four-game road trip following this. So by February 11th or just after that, he should be good to go. Um, what about Justin Schultz? I think I saw him get a puck to the face. What happened there? Yeah, so he was struck in the face by a puck on Thursday night. He's labeled as day-to-day, so most likely there's no fracture, and it's more of just a major contusion. He hasn't played since then, so this could be something like it might be a lot of swelling, causing a vision obstruction, so that could be out, uh, be why he's out. But the moment that nothing obstructs his vision and he's good to go, he should be able to play with just a full face shield on um, and nothing else keeping him out. Um, so we should, uh, if he did travel with the team to New York, we should see him on Thursday and if not then we'll most likely see him against the Flyers on Saturday. Um, Speaking of the Philadelphia Flyers do you have an update on Sean Couturier? Yeah, so as we talked about last week, he suffered a costochondral separation, which is a rib separation from the cartilage. He's set to return in the next week and a half or so, so he should be back in your lineup by next weekend, which is good news. All right, that sounds good. Um, Going to some COVID situations around the league, could you update us on sort of what happened with the Washington Capitals situation? Yes. Yeah, so uh, in Washington, just Ilya Samsonov and Evgeny Kuznetsov are still on the COVID-19 list after that hotel gathering affair. Um, the other two teammates, Alex Ovechkin and Dmitry Orlov, are back. So this might mean that Ilya Samsonov and Evgeny Kuznetsov tested positive while in this quarantining situation. So they might be out for the next couple of weeks, most likely. So just keep this in mind and keep them out of your lineup. Um. I know Mackenzie Blackwood was uh, taken off the COVID list, but uh, New Jersey seems to have had a breakout. What happened with New Jersey? Yeah, so New Jersey Devils had a massive COVID outbreak with now 14 players on the list, such as Connor Carrick, Kyle Palmieri, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his last Palmieri, name. Palmieri, yeah. Palmieri, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jack Hughes and Sammy Vatnin are just a couple to a few um, on that very long list. The team will not play until at least this weekend as they need to see if they have enough players for their roster in order to play. And if not, their games will be probably postponed into next week. Um, and then also the Buffalo Sabres, uh, what's going on with them COVID-related? Yes, they have placed two players, Rasmus Ristolainen and Taylor Hall, on the COVID list and have shut down their facility. So most likely this indicates that Rasmus and Taylor Hall have been tested positive. The team believes that this occurred when they played the New Jersey Devils, and then that was what caused the outbreak. There was that contact on the ice and uh, caused these two players to get uh, COVID-19. They will not play until February 8th at least uh, for now, so just keep that in mind when doing your lineup. I know you were telling me how you had both Ristolainen and Hall on your fantasy team. So that's a pretty major blow. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Moving on to some other COVID cases. uh, What about Alex Petrangelo? Yeah, so he was added to the COVID list and is out for now. We do not have a timeline for him or if he was added due to a positive or close contact. So for him, it's going to be just watching him and seeing kind of what happens and keep him benched for now. Um, I think what I did hear was that when the coaching staff had gotten uh, tested positive for COVID, he was a close contact with the coaching staff. That uh, That's not confirmed, but that's something yeah. that I heard. So that could be a possibility. But um, I did which see is, that the head coach is back. So he's been cleared. So hopefully Petrangelo will be coming I up believe soon. by Friday, their game should be starting back up for the Vegas Golden Knights. So yeah. we should see that. Um, and then one last COVID case, that's uh, Capo Caco for the New York Rangers. Yeah, so he was added to the COVID list for a very short period of time, but then was quickly removed two days later. So most likely this was just a false positive. He's good to go. 
All right, that sounds good. Thank you, Victoria, for your time. Yeah, no problem. Um, and I just want to mention that, um, as always, we're on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So like, share, comment, leave a review for us. Um, just keep getting the podcast out there. If you enjoy our injury anal- analysis, if you enjoy uh, some of our pickups, some of our recaps, previews, all of those sorts of things, just like, comment, share, review. And um, as always, uh, we'll have links uh, below um, for, for timestamps as well as for uh, the Fantasy Fanatics podcast hockey pool. Um, and then once again, uh, just uh, thank you for listening to the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. And we'll be back next week with an episode.